Hello and welcome to the Movie Change Up Podcast, Disney Plus uh, review. Uh, we, it's our weekly review where each week Tristan and I uh, discuss kind of what went on recently in the past week of Disney Plus. We talk about different shows, give our recommendations, we kind of give reviews of maybe the two most popular shows uh, working on Disney Plus right now. We're also going to talk about Emmy nominations, maybe any trailers that dropped. Uh, today I think our main focuses are going to be uh, the... Wednesday's episode of Loki, uh, Friday's episode of The Bad Batch. Uh, I think Tristan's going to give kind of his talk on uh, the Mysterious Benedict Society. We're going to talk about Emmy nominations. Uh, I think there was a trailer for a new Pixar movie, Red, we're going to talk about. And then a National Geographic show that Disney Plus has been promoting called Breaking Bobby Bones, I think. something. I don't remember what the show is, but I watched the first two episodes of it, and I'm going to talk about it. Uh, So Tristan... uh, uh, what were your kind of thoughts on Disney Plus this week overall? Yeah, I'm feeling good about it. I mean, it's going to be a great conversation ahead of this. I think we had some really peak episodes, I think, on some of these shows. And I, I am interested to hear what you thought of that National Geographic show because I was kind of surprised by my thoughts on Mysterious Benedict Society. So I'm excited to talk about that. And yeah, a new Pixar movie, it's always a good thing. We weren't quite into Luca in our review on the show, but. Uh, I'm looking forward to what they do next, and I think it would be fun to talk about that trailer. And, of course, John Cheadle Emmy nomination. You know, we got to get on that. Also, what the hell's going on with your background right now? It looks like... Uh... Oh, no. I got to pull my screen up. Is something going wild back there? Yeah, oh, no. your lights are going bananas back there. Sorry for any audio uh, listeners. Justin oh, has a light behind his TV, and it is going crazy. Uh, but I'll kick this off uh, with uh loki uh was the season finale well yeah season finale because they did announce at the end of the episode we are getting season two and this is a you know a spoiler review for anyone that hasn't watched it uh the episode was called for all time always and it was a really good episode i think it was the best uh season finale of any of the disney plus mcu shows and honestly uh loki is currently my favorite of the disney plus mcu so where does it rank for you yeah, for me, I was nervous going into this because the finales of the two shows previously have been the biggest letdowns of them in terms of the episodes being clear step downs in quality and also just a huge rush to get to the finish. I think WandaVision in particular was a really big quality drop. And I also thought Falcon and the Winter Soldier had a bit of a story quality drop. It's one of its character arcs that kind of kind of came to a hard halt in that finale. And I, But this one was the opposite for me. I really love this episode a lot, and I think it cements Loki as a series ahead of both of those by kind of a mile for me. This is definitely my favorite of the show so far. I can't wait to talk about the rest of it, but I am excited for season two, because season one kind of blew me away. I'm very impressed by it. Yeah, I was really into season one. I was constantly waiting for season one to just drop off, and it never did. Um, but yeah, let's like talk about the episode itself. One of the things that I was really into... And well, let's let's talk about theories because I want your opinion. Because I I had a theory last week that the man in the castle would be a Loki variant, and we would learn that this Loki variant uh, kind of destroyed the multiverse and created the one sacred timeline because he wanted to keep Kang from appearing because he basically the one sacred timeline was the timeline without Kang, and so I'm gonna chalk it up to I was half right. <laughs> you get some points on that, Joe. I think 
it was nice. Like, I don't want to say, oh, it's good because people caught the theory. Like, that doesn't make something good. But I do think it was nice that it it was something it was set up. I, you know, people, I think, sometimes complain, like, oh, I knew who it was. I was, I was ahead of the twist, so that makes it bad. And I don't feel that. I think a good twist is one that you can see coming. And, of course, when you're watching the episode frame by frame and thousands upon thousands of people are analyzing it every week online together in unison, you're going to solve the mystery. <laughs> so... I'm not going to complain that we were ahead of it. We were just, I feel like we were right on pace where the show wanted us to be. Yeah. I think by the time Loki and Sylvie got into that castle, they wanted the, the hardcore fans in the audience to be like, oh, I bet it's Kang. Yeah. In a world without TikTok and Reddit and on, you know, online discussion forums, how many people would have had any idea that Kang was going to be in that castle? I'm going to yeah, say a like handful of the hardcore comic book yeah. fans, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like without TikTok and all that, I never would have had any idea that Kang would have been in the castle. Maybe just speculation based on the fact of knowing that he's going to be one of the main villains in uh, Ant Man three. Uh, but yeah, uh, one of the things I did want to talk about is just jumping around a little bit here. I liked in the beginning that it was full on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory of him basically offering him and that uh, loki and sylvie basically here's the keys you guys can run it now you've kind of gone through my trials a little bit you're the right people for the job and then at the end it straight up turns into planet of the apes who <laughs> the statue reveal after they you know create the multiverse and i never would have thought you could blend those two movies together but they did it seamlessly and perfectly and it completely 100 percent fit we've had Wizard of, Wizard of Oz homages in the past, We've and now we've got Planet of the Apes and Willy Wonka. So, Yeah, I think there was also a lot of Wizard of Oz here with the man behind the curtain being this kind of like zany, comedic, almost compassionate presence. Like Kane's clearly not a good guy in this series, but he's not like the aggressive fighting, trying to destroy the Loki's bad guy. He essentially is, we'll talk a lot about more Kane when we get to it, but... Yeah, I want to get at, later on. I'll save our thoughts a bit for our thoughts on the King casting and the King performance. I want to talk about that as we get to it. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I want to take some points before we get off of theories because I thought last week maybe Miss Minutes was going to be involved in the evil plot and that she would be sort of this middleman between whoever the head of the of the world is between King and the TVA. So. Give me, give me half points on that too, Joe. I'll take yeah. half points. Maybe okay. half points for me, half points for you. We get a point together. Hell yeah, I'll take that. We get one <laughs> full point for our predictions. I'll take it. So uh, I'll get a little bit into a recap here. I just have a couple uh, bullet points if you want to get to the beginning and yeah. the sort of three storylines go along here. So first we start off basically where we left off. Uh, they're coming up to the front door and they're kind of nervous about it. You know, Sylvie's like, oh, do I kick it down? And Loki says, oh, for once, maybe that's the right thing to do. And they go in, and their swords are on, ready to figure out what's going on. And boom, Miss Minutes shows up, and it turns out Miss Minutes is, yes, involved in the evil plan, like I just said. Give me my half-point theory down that, Joe. Uh, so we'll have Miss Minutes shows up and kind of offers Loki and Sylvie what this deal might end up being. They can essentially have whatever they want, whatever timeline is best for them. Loki could be on the throne of Asgard, ruling the entire uh, world with the Infinity Gauntlet and everything. He could do whatever he wants. Sylvie can have her own world with her own uh, desires, and they could even do it together. But, of course, they turn it down and say, sorry, we're going all the way. Uh, and then she says, oh, well, you're gonna, soon you're going to meet the guy we call the one who remains. Or he who remains, I believe the, the yeah, phrasing of it remains, is. Yeah. 
So very chilling on that, and you get that kind of cliffhanger on that. And what do you think of this opening and the reveal of Miss Minutes and the tease here of He Who Remains? When you, as soon as you heard that, were you like, oh, well, it's Kang? Yeah, pretty much, because I've like seen theories and stuff online of He Who Remains is kind of one of the identities of Kang. So as soon as they said that, I'm like, okay, it's Kang. Yeah, I thought it was it was satisfying. I like the build up here, and we'll get to it in a second. But I like that they don't leave us hanging to like the cliffhanger. Like I was saying, oh, maybe Kang's in the post credit scene. I didn't expect mm. him to be like in the whole oh. episode. <laughs> yeah, because my main thing of like why I didn't think it was Kang is like, well, basically for it to be Kang, they have to devote the entire episode to giving us Kang's backstory, and I didn't think they would do that because I didn't think it would be possible to do that in a way that was like entertaining. And I was pretty much wrong because this entire episode was Kang telling Sylvie and Loki his entire backstory, and I felt it was entertaining and captivating the entire time. I thought there wouldn't be any way that that, that was possible, but yeah, here we I, are. I was in the same boat when I was watching WandaVision, I was thinking, sure, it would be cool if it was Mephisto, but that would be a, t a lot of logic leaping to do, and I don't know if they can pull that off, and I think this showed that it's possible to pull mm -hmm. that off, and I, I think... In hindsight, it makes me feel differently about some of the other shows, but more so it makes me feel really strongly about how well I think they nailed this. But yeah, I think part of why this worked and why like the inter final introduction in the last episode works is because the entire time they've hinted that there is a man behind the curtain, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so it's like we knew someone was there. We didn't. We just didn't know who it was. It wasn't like if this episode had started with them lopping off the heads of the of the timekeepers and they were a robotic head and then we also got the Kang introduction I think that would have felt a little bit too far but since mm -hmm. you know a few episodes we got the you know reveal that the timekeepers were bullshit essentially then I think that kind of helped the idea of there is a man behind the curtain and we're finally just learning who that was yeah I want to cut from there for a second to the TVA plot I'm going to cover essentially everything that happens in the TVA in just a couple of sentences here. Yeah. <laughs> I think I condensed it down pretty easily here. So we meet Renslayer in her office. She's kind of morning Mobius looking over the aforementioned uh, watermark from his glass that she teased him about previously. And then Miss Minute shows up and says she gave her not what Renslayer asked for, but what he thought would be useful. And they don't technically explain what that is, but I have a bit of theory that we'll get towards the end then, I think. Do you have any uh, thoughts about what that data might have been on that on that uh, timekeep? I have no idea. <laughs> we'll get to my theory then. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, but uh, next scene, Mobius confronts Renslayer. He shows up and saved from the land beyond time, whatever they call it in this universe, and he tells her that we gotta tell the truth. We're liars. We can't be reinforcing the BS of these timekeepers in the TVA. And he offers her essentially the chance to rebuild it anew something good something better and shows that he's revealed the truth to all of the tvas assumingly uh the truth is out there and she turns him down she goes to kind of zap him out of existence and she hesitates and goes to leave and he says where are you going and she says i'm going to find free will so what do you think of this what comes to be the final scene of mobius and Renslayer together I think it was kind of interesting because, you know, they obviously have this friendship, but because of his interactions with Loki, uh, Mobius' kind of perspective and thoughts and opinions have changed. So it's kind of the last, you know, time that they're together because their opinions and viewpoints are just too polar opposite at this point. It reminds me last week of when 
Mobius was talking to the Richard E. Grant Loki, and he says, oh, you just turned your back on something you spent eons defending, and he says it's never too late to change, and I think yeah. this is this sorrowful moment of that change of, sure, Mobius is changing for the better, but he has to leave behind these people that he cared about, and I'm interested to see, I'm sure, because you mentioned season two, so I would be shocked if these two characters aren't back, so I'm excited to see more from them. Uh, no jet ski for Mobius yet. Yeah, I was depressed. I was, I had laid my fist down when they had that jet ski reference in whatever episode it was. I, it was like episode two or three. I was like, this ep- this season won't end without Mobius on a jet ski, and he never got anywhere near a damn jet ski. Like, there wasn't even, like, a joke of, like, him <laughs> wanting to ride the jet ski, but, but for that, like, mission or whatever, it had to be Loki on the jet ski, and so he felt left out. Like, there wasn't anything about a jet ski. I wonder if, like, maybe coronavirus or something had something to do with that, where, like, maybe they couldn't fully they do what they wanted to ski. do. Well, they couldn't fully do what they wanted to do. They couldn't film where they wanted to film, so. Yeah, I think... That's a interesting point. I if they if they weren't going to do a season two, I think you would have had the jet ski in this season. But mm-hmm. hey, we're getting a second season, so maybe maybe hey, that's that ski for the series finale. Well, in the I don't not the post credit scene, but like in that final scene, we see uh, Mobius again, and he's a lot more of a darker character. He's a lot. He's back to he's because of the reset. Essentially, he's back to being evil. And so I'm kind of wondering if Loki now with his knowledge of mobius liking jet skis if that's going to come back and loki's going to kind of use that information to maybe get mobius to turn again that could be interesting some way to get to his heart like the in almost a reverse of the opening of this season where mobius is trying to break into loki and turn him to something he wasn't and maybe loki can now be that to mobius yep and i also like this renslayer mobius conversation because i think it sums up a lot of the themes of what this show is going for like what is free will and who should have it and where does the power lie? And she has that line where she says, the one who has free will is the one in charge. And that's sort of like the bureaucracy of, of the TVA. Like, they don't need free will because they're just answering to someone who's higher and knows better than they do. And she said she's going to find free will. So I think that she still does firmly believe in King, firmly believe in some form of a sacred timeline. So I think she'll be a really interesting villain going forward yeah. and probably a sidekick to King throughout the rest. Similar to maybe like... a. Gamora was to Thanos. Yeah, I could see that for sure. All right, now we've got it. Uh, we've been building up the whole season for who is this guy behind the curtain? Who is this he who remains? It's not Loki. It's not an alternate Mobius. It's not Captain America. It's not Ralph Boner. It's Kang. Jonathan Majors. What if it was up. Ralph Boner? What if it was? <laughs> that would have been the best twist in the. That would have. I don't even know how I would have reacted to that. I feel like it would have been so bold that I would have had to just been like, "Wow, they really went for it." He was, well, he was hanging the whole time. Yeah. That would have been interesting. He was hanging the whole time, even back in Wandavision. They they played us, Joe. What if it was Mephisto? <laughs> but it's not Mephisto. We've got Jonathan Majors showing up dressed in purple in a very Doctor Strange looking set here he's been living at the void of the earth all by himself just kind of controlling time and he's given a kind of zany performance high energy interesting performance but what did you think of jonathan majors as his debut here as king yeah i really liked it like i said before it gives off like heavy willy wonka type vibes heavy you know kind of uh the wizard of oz type you know similar vibes and i see a lot of people like crapping on the performance basically or like crapping on the character basically being like oh i'm supposed to believe this guy's the big bad of the next phase of the mcu and it's like did did you not did you not watch the show? He's like 
he's still a crazy, somewhat evil person. And according to him, he's the good version of him. He's like the best, nicest version of him. So the Kang that's going to be the big bad of the next few phases of the MCU is going to be a, it's still going to look like Jonathan Majors, but it's going to be a very different character, a very different performance based on everything we've watched in the show. If you honestly think the Kang that's going to be the big evil version is going to have that same personality and act the same way, then you clearly just didn't watch the show or weren't paying attention to the show. Yeah, he even mentions, like, you're not going to like the other versions of me. And he says, I've been gone, I've been called by many names, not just reference to comic books and how they call villains by a ton of different names and change them up all the time. But I also think that's a reference to the variants. Like, maybe he's had a variant that's Kane the Conqueror, yeah. then Kane the Bold, Kane the White, Kane the Gray, that kind of thing. Yeah, one of the things Kevin Feige, the, you know, if you aren't aware, he's like the basically the architect of the MCU, has said is the Infinity Saga is kind of its own thing. And he does. He, like the next few phases of the MCU aren't going to be like that where it's like building up to this big battle at the end it's the movies are going to be a lot more individualistic so I think that's what a lot of the different movies are going to be is them defeating various like Kang variants like I don't I think Jonathan Majors is going to be in a lot of MCU movies moving forward as different variants granted they could have other actors come in and play different variants of Kang like clearly we've had different actors play variants and if the rumors are true uh, we're going to see different actors play Spider-Man, so I feel like you could still have bring in various Kangs that aren't don't necessarily all have to be played by Jonathan Majors. Yeah, I'm really excited. I love the performance. I thought it was a really entertaining, really interesting performance, a nice subversion of what I thought it was going to be. Like, when you hear Kane the Conqueror, you see images of him in the comic book with blue space and all of that. You imagine, like, a really booming, dark, menacing kind of presence, someone that's going to be immediately intimidating, immediately, like, you're scared of this guy because of his physical prowess and his menace against you, but this is not that at all, and I think it's a really great foil to what we've seen in the MCU so far. Like you mentioned, there's not going to be big, long build with the storylines, but there is going to be Kane. Kane's going to be throughout this phase, I imagine, and I think he's a fun foil to Thanos, who was that very serious, very powerful physical presence that had a lot of like immediate power, and I think Kane is going to be that larger scale, that kind of man-behind-the-curtain kind of threat where he's manipulating people in the right directions. And I thought his performance was really good. Also, I thought he gave off this vibe to me of someone who clearly hasn't talked to anybody else in a long time, someone who's lived at a life so powerful and so above everyone else that he doesn't like even relate to people anymore. He doesn't even see time as a straightforward thing, uh, similar to like a Dr. Manhattan-type yeah, character, exactly... a bit more comedic. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking. He's very like Dr. Manhattan-esque, like when Sylvie was attacking him and he was like just bobbing and weaving out of the like basically teleporting out of the lake because he knew exactly where she would go. Yeah, and anytime they would start taking something seriously, he would just kind of like laugh and be like, oh, nothing matters. And even if you kill me now, you're just going to end up causing the same entropy that brought me here in the first place. Yeah, I really like that, you know, interesting. He's like, I don't really care what happens because either you're going to continue my life's work, which is great, or you're going to destroy everything I've created and reset everything and I'm just going to end up back here anyways. Yeah, because that's essentially what he gives Loki and Sylvia, an escalated version of what Miss Minutes gave them. Not only can you get whatever timeline you want, you guys can control everything. Like, you can take, you can be me, essentially. You can control a TVA, tell them whatever truth you want, tell them what's really true, tell them whatever lie, but you'll be in control of reality as long as you maintain this timeline. Take my place, essentially, on the throne, and that or strike me down. <laughs> yeah. And 
Uh, of course, the two Lokis take opposing sides for a big dramatic effect. And we get a Loki v. Loki battle here. Uh, he says the line, you can't trust and I can't be trusted to kind of sum up their characters and why they, they have this falling out. And they have a kiss here for a moment. And you think maybe it's going to go okay. But then she says, I'm not you. Throws him back through a portal and strikes down Kang. Kang kind of just laughs and says, see you soon. So my question for you is, if you were given that option, what are you doing? You killing Kang and potentially unleashing a worse Kang, but hopefully creating free will, or are you just letting things ride out the way they've been? It's an interesting question, because you do add sort of the whole question of free will in the first place. Like, free will for humanity may inevitably lead to our destruction. You might all kill each other and light off nuclear bombs and blow up the planet, but like is the fact that we get to live and we get to have free will we get to have lives and choices and feelings and love and emotions worth it and i think it kind of is i think if you could control if you could contain the sacred timeline without ever having to prune anyone without ever having to like erase the timeline you're just like okay here's the timeline that's all we got maybe but i think the morality of erasing entire timelines full of people yeah. <laughs> is a little too much just because you're like oh mine's the one that i like the most so it's yeah. sacred yeah so i think that if I was in the situation, I'm striking down King. Sure, maybe in a couple of centuries we're going to get a multiverse war and it's all going to go back to the same thing. But then that's a circle. You know, I'm just going to come back in the same door at the same time, do the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, I can feel that. I, I don't know what I would do. But I love I love that this even has these kind of questions. Like, I, I, we mentioned the Black Widow review that it was just kind of, it, it teetered towards an interesting family dynamic, interesting drama, but it, fell into being too much of an action movie and i think this is striking the right balance it has enough action enough thought-provoking science fiction to really be that perfect comic book balance you have enough of the thought-provoking stuff to keep an adult reading but you also had just the fun action and the rompy kind of adventure i i'm loving it i think it's some of the best stuff the mcu's done in a long time and i never thought i would say that because we were even debating on covering the show in the first place before it started yeah yeah i'm kind of in the same spot so, Joe, we pretty much hit the end here. Even though it was a long episode, there was only a couple of sequences here, a lot of tense information. <laughs> uh, we got a final scene here. I want to, before we cover that, cover before we get to the end, just cover this last moment with Loki here. I think it's a bit important. So Loki got pushed through that portal, and now he wakes up in a very chaotic TVA. He's heartbroken because the one person that he put his heart out to and cared for uh, kind of took a different side and left him and... He can't even say she was wrong. You know, they just came down on different sides. And then he spots Mobius and one of the soldiers, I think it was B-15 or B-20, I can't remember which was which of the numbers. <laughs> but he approaches them to warn of Kang, saying some guy's company is really big, really powerful, really, you know, cool. He has this weird way of talking. <laughs> uh, but he's, he, he says, before you get all of that out, Mobius says, wait, who are you again? And Loki realizes that He's in a universe where he never met the TVA at all. He maybe never even existed because Mobius doesn't even know who he is. He walks out and he looks, and the Timekeeper statue's been replaced by a unmistakably Kang statue. You know, there's no questionable about it. It's a Kang statue now. And he's in what seems to be a multiverse within the MCU. So Loki has now unleashed the multiverse. Yeah, it was an uh, interesting thing. I didn't expect a Planet of the Apes style you know dynamic i didn't realize that the tva would change when they basically reset the multiverse and i saw a theory online that 
when a branch splits off and you see they have like those two red lines and it gets too close to the red line then that causes problems and one of the theories i saw is the reason like when it gets too close to the red line is because that it, the branch splits off far enough that it messes with the tva interesting i'm really looking forward to what they do with this in the future because of course we have loki season two but i do think this opens up a lot of doors for the mcu for these characters and i'm curious joe since loki season two is probably a little bit away where do you think we see some of these characters next whether it's kang whether it's sylvie whether it's mobius or Renslayer, where do you think we see them pop up next uh i don't know because i think partially because the tva exists outside of time i think season two is gonna uh basically pick up kind of right where season one left off i don't think there's gonna be a big uh gap so i don't know i don't really know if we're gonna see him pop up anywhere maybe just like a post credit scene in ant-man and the lost quantumania but outside of that you know i don't i don't i have no idea where maybe dr strange multiverse of madness but yeah because i it's interesting that Kevin Fuggy said they're not planning long-form storylines because it really feels like they are planning a long-form storyline here. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like they're setting up a lot that leads into the other thing, whether it's not just, okay, WandaVision, Loki, Doctor Strange, and that's it. Or maybe maybe Ant-Man 2. Like, I don't know if that's like a long-form storyline or if it's just like, oh, here's like a story arc we're doing, oh. you know? Yeah. I'm really curious how this is going to go going forward. I, I'm, I hope we see Mobius more. I'd love to see Owen Wilson show up in Ant-Man. I think that would be a fun dynamic. Yeah, I think he'd fit very well into that cast. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I could see Renslayer being like a sidekick to Kang throughout. And I mentioned a theory that I have about the data she got on that time pad. Yeah. And Miss Minutes mentions, oh, it's what he thinks you'll need rather than what you actually asked for. And she then says, oh, I'm going to go find Free Will and jump into the portal. And I think he knew he may be struck down by Sylvie at the end of this because he mentions, oh, I finally at a point where I don't know what's going to happen next. And maybe he sent her coordinates to find some kind of alternate king in the timeline, some kind of young king, some kind of evil king, some kind of him king, some way to save king, bring king back, reincarnation, baby. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But we're going to have to wait a while. Like I said, it's the finale, so season two, who knows how long away that is. We've still got What If coming out. We'll be covering What If on the, on the podcast here, but I imagine it's not going to be as dense as Loki. No. No, definitely not. Do you got anything else to say about Loki before we move on to the Bad Batch? No, we've covered a lot about it. I was super impressed. I'm excited to see what's next. All right. Uh, me too. Uh, definitely looking forward to season two and what season two brings. Uh, but moving on to The Bad Batch, which debuted on Friday, which if you're watching on Twitch is today. If you're watching on YouTube or any of other streams, it was, you know, the July 16th episode, Rescue on Ryloth, where we kind of continued the last episode, where at the end of it, Hera had kind of, uh, uh, you know, had been kind of broke away from her parents. And uh, we didn't get much of The Bad Batch last episode, but I think they made up for it. A bit this episode this is definitely a bad batch centric episode uh kind of what were your general thoughts on the episode because i'll say for me i think this was my favorite episode of the season i liked it a lot it's definitely up there for me i strangely say i liked last week's a little bit more than this week's but i think both of these are some of my favorites i think the mm -hmm. uniqueness of having a nearly bad batch free episode last week was really interesting and a nice change of pace but like you said this week brought the bad batch and brought the action and i think it brought in side characters but 
not in a super super distracting yeah. way i think it feels like a special thing and we're not gonna get these characters again you know so a nice yeah. one-off from these characters and a fun yeah. finale to a two-parter i will say there was a line in there that made me think we might see Hera and Sham and Hauser again. Number one, because I definitely don't think Hauser's storyline is done. And two, there was like a line at the end where like Hera was like, oh, I'll see you around. And it's like, okay. Like to me, that basically signifies her saying, I'll be back before the end of the season or I'll yeah. see you in season two. That's true. They could do one of those heroes assemble type story like they do in some of these where they come to the finale or the next season and all, the, all their fan favorites come back. Yep. And I was kind of surprised that we didn't get the death of Hera's mother in the episode. I know that's a big yeah, defining moment was... of her character's past. So maybe that's what we're going to get next time she shows up. Yeah, similar to uh, Saw Gerrera in Rebels. The first time he appeared, everyone's like, wait, I thought he was supposed to be all messed up. Why didn't he get messed up? And then he appeared in the second episode and he had kind of a run-in with some pesticides. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so one of the things I wanted to talk about is I kind of like how they kept kind of subtly bringing up the question of exactly what are the bad batch are they mercenaries are they you know arms dealers are they soldiers you know what what are they so i mean they didn't exactly answer the question this episode but i definitely think they're moving towards the direction of the bad batch are are, are rebels mm-hmm. they might not be rebels in name but i think they're rebels in in theory <laughs> yeah you know they're not they're not on the fan side of the empire and i think more and more we're going to get like they mentioned other planets in liberation too. And I think that was Chan that said that in favor of the rebellion, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see the bad batch at least a couple of times this season out there liberating planets who are suffering underneath the empire as this kind of clone rebel army. Yeah. We got four episodes left and originally I thought kind of, and I I still believe, I think the arc of the entire show is the, you know, Kaminoan rise against the empire. And I think that's going to get squashed out very quickly. Um, you know, I think we'll potentially maybe see Vader at that point. I think it's a little too early for Vader to appear just in the Star Wars timeline. Like, Vader in his suit is still very young. But if we get to a season, you know, three, I could see a season three finale of Vader showing up, you know, confident in his suit and his abilities. Yeah, I think the fact that the clones became self-aware, or at least some of them, in this episode and, and surrendered and kind of rebelled against mm-hmm. the Empire, I think that shows to me that... Maybe this Camino Rebellion thing is not as far away as we thought. Like, I could see even the end of the season being a Camino Rebellion arc. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know if we've seen enough on uh, Camino recently for me to be full on ready for a Camino Rebellion arc. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely see because I could see it going both ways. You never really know with this show, but I'm just surprised with the Bad Batch that they seem to be moving a lot quicker than these shows usually do. So I'm leaning towards quicker than than slower on some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's that's possible, for sure. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is I feel like Hauser, the uh, main clone in this episode outside of the Bad Batch, kind of proves uh, in all of these, you know, properties based on, uh, or like these shows or movies based on known IP, that you don't exactly need a character that ha- has been in like dozens of shows or dozens of movies to like have emotional impact. Like, Hauser shows up, and he's a big part of this show, and he's an emotional part of this episode. But it's not, like, our love for Hauser and our appreciation for Hauser isn't based on the fact that we saw him in another movie or in another show. He's only been in this episode and last. Yeah, I think it's important that when we're doing stuff like this, where you're bringing in Harry, you're bringing in Cham, you're bringing in the senator from 
the prequels, like a lot of connective tissue in the episode. It's also good to have that. Like not everyone, it doesn't feel like a huge major coincidence. It feels like, oh, they're on Ryloth. So of course, like a couple of Ryloth characters, we know are going to be there. But yeah, I hope we don't keep doing this. Like we, we mentioned, we mentioned again and again, a lot of the cameos and characters showing up and, I hope that's not like the whole show. Yeah, <laughs> I know we're in season one, so I'm giving them a bit of a pass because I think at the first season you're trying to get people in and get people talking about the show, and get people tweeting about like who's on it and who's not. And so I'm hoping maybe in season two we we'll start to get out of that, or at least out of bringing in new new characters every time. But yeah, and that, I mean, we're gonna bring anybody and bring in Hera. Yeah, and that episode before this one, we did get that senator that we'd never seen before. So, or the episode before this arc, I should say, we got that senator from. Rax or wherever he was from that had never been in anything before. So we're, we are getting new characters. And one of the other things I wanted to bring up is like there was this moment where they were all planning and strategizing and coming up with a mission. And I definitely would love if they we got a Battlefront style game that was set during the Clone Wars and it was just a Bad Batch game. And I feel like they could have it set up where, you know, you're going through the Clone Wars and some missions you're playing as Hunter, some missions you're playing as Wrecker, some missions you're playing as crosshair or tech or they could do it where you could play through the entire game and you could pick which character you got to play through so you kind of got five different or four or however many different characters in one if you've seen the gameplay trailer that came out i think last month for the new guardians of the galaxy game i'd like to see this in that kind of a format where you're playing the entire time as hunter but be able to sort of give commands and momentarily take control of the other characters but throughout the game you have like this one central you're Hunter, you're the commander, you're telling your Bad Badge gang what to do. That could be fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, just in that scene, that was uh, something that stuck out for me is I would definitely love a Bad Badge game. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so there are some, definitely some emotional moments in this episode. And anything, for whatever reason, that's between like parents and children always kind of like sticks out to me. And there are some really good quotes in here that I just wanted to bring up. And like they were part of moments I really liked. And this one was a conversation between uh, Hera and Omega. And it was uh, Hera saying, my parents won't approve of this plan. And Omega just replying, I won't tell if you won't. And I just, I really liked that moment. I thought it was a good moment. I like that too. I think Omega and Hera had a lot of good moments in the episode. You predicted last week that Hera was going to fly the ship. I don't know yeah. if that was a bold prediction, but it was a good prediction. Yeah. It was a correct yeah. prediction. <laughs> and one of the things I said too is if she flies, I don't want it to be like she picks it up easily and amazingly. And she's a great pilot from the start. And as soon as it lifted off and it veered into the ship next to it, I'm like, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Like she kind of like... figured it out after there. And I will say another great flying moment was when tech and Wrecker were in the, whatever aircraft it was. And tech basically drifted in midair with his, with the, uh, you know, uh, vehicle they were in where he basically <laughs> turned off the engines turned and like restarted them I thought just there was a great That's a shot move. basically and I liked that when Omega uh, Omega was kind of the guide for Hera I, I predicted last week that since Omega knows the ship so well she could be Hera's co-pilot and look we, we didn't get a whole point for Loki but I think we each get a point mm -hmm. for this one Yep, and I will say uh, another great moment I liked is Hera's mom I believe said this talking to uh admiral rampart i've seen how you treat your allies i'd rather be your enemy good line yeah there, the, I, 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 Hera's mom was like mvp of this episode yeah she had another good line i can't remember the exact phrasing of it but omega and Hera were off talking somewhere and she was talking with 
I think Hunter or someone from the Bad Batch, and she mentioned like, oh, they're the generation ahead of us, or they're the future of us, or something like that. And I thought that was, of course, you know, Hera is literally the future of the of the rebellion. But I also think the fact that they had this young generation is kind of why they're fighting. It's why they keep this fight up because they could easily give up. But they see these young people trying to just be happy, and they want to make the best world for them. Yeah, and there was uh, another quote too when the Bad Batch broke out. Hera's parents. Champ Syndulla's kind of assistant guy had said they're mercenaries. I didn't hire them for this. And I believe it was Hunter that replied Hera did. And just like the look on Cham and his wife's face of just kind of this, <laughs> you know, look of pride, but also a little bit look of fear of like, what the hell was she doing while we were in here? Yeah. What did we get her into? You know? Yeah. There's an added level of, an added level of tragedy to the episode too, because we know that Cham and Hera have an intense falling out that lasts for a long time in her life. So I think the fact that they're together now with their mother, like a family united, there's an element of romantic tragedy or maybe it is real tragedy. The fact that this family is going to fall apart before you know it, but eventually Hera and Chad will get back together and kind of put their differences aside. Yeah. And uh, I really liked the, that was kind of it what I had for quotes, but I did like everything with uh, Hauser, you know, in his, the last moments, trying to turn as many clones back as he could. And he got a lot of them, but some of them didn't turn. And I think that's interesting. And it kind of points to my theory of I'm curious how that connects to Crosshair of like, okay, Hauser's chip eventually wear off and a few of the other clones' chips wore off. Has I know they kind of revamped uh, Crosshair's chip, but I'm wondering, has his chip worn off and he's just decided he's part of the Empire or is it... Or is he still maybe, will there be a point essentially where his chip wears off? Yeah, I wonder if his chip, his chip is revamped. Maybe that kind of just like reset the timer. You know, these yeah. clones are starting to get their chips reset and then maybe eventually slowly but surely he's going to start decaying as well. Yeah. So I, I do think that's intentional. I think the fact that we saw that clones, even chipped clones can turn to the good side and at least turn against the Empire. I think that was definitely there intentionally to not just tease Crosser, but to tease what might be a feature arc for Bad Batch. Maybe they're out there trying to gather a clone army, like a renewed clone army. That could be an interesting arc for the show too. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm curious, what are your thoughts? What's your thought? Because I feel like Crosshair, like his storyline is somewhat going to be resolved this season. I don't think, mm-hmm. if, I don't think we're, if there's a season two, I don't think we're going into season two with Crosshair still a villain working for the Empire against the Bad Batch. I think do you have like kind of where you think he's going to end up at the end of the season? Yeah. I mean, he was sold to hunt them down this episode. So I definitely think he's going to be central to the rest of the season here. I am curious. Unfortunately, I do think he's going to be dead by the end of the season. And I think it's going to be a self-sacrifice. I've still been hounding on that theory for a while. I know you're leaning towards, he's going to be bad, turn towards the empire. And I, no, I, I, I've, I've, I've been kind of, deciding between does he turn but sacrifices himself at the end so the bad batch can live or does he just stay bad and they kill him and i i'm i think with the housers thing this episode i think i'm more leaning towards the he's you know he's gonna have to self-sacrifice at the end because there's no way he's rejoining the bad batch yeah those are the two directions he either goes bad and stays bad and he gets killed or something like that or he turns and dies protecting the bad batch and Either one is satisfying. I think if he does uh, surrender and sacrifice himself, it could be a thrilling moment if 
he's killed by like whatever the next big bad's going to be. Maybe Maul comes in, shuts him down. Maybe yeah. Vader comes in, shuts him down. I don't know. That might be too early <laughs> I, I think for those. My theory but... is because of the whole clone aspect and everything going on with the show, I think Boba Fett's the big bad of season two. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a cl- uh, if we do see Crosshair stay bad. My guess for his death is similar to like a Scar death. Maybe his clone army turns against him. It, they, he orders them to shoot Omega or something like that or to maybe kill Hunter or someone armed, member of the Bad Batch, and the clone army is going to say, hey, that's kind of crazy because you've seen people are turning against the Crosshair, turning against the Empire, so maybe... We'll have a squad of clones turn against Crosshair and, and shoot him down. He'll be killed by his own men. Yeah, and then one last thing I wanted to add is uh, I like the moment at the end where uh, Hera says to like her family or whatever that Tech taught her how to scramble a ship signal. So it's kind of like that thing moving forward. If like you watch Rebels and she's talking about scrambling the ship signal, we know where that <laughs> came from. And because yeah. I kind of like the fact we didn't see like they were talking about like oh we can take. Ornfrita's uh, shuttle, like in his area, and I'm like, I kind of hope that's not the ghost. Like, uh, like sometimes with episodes like this where you have a character come back that we norm- that's like see younger, it's like, oh, we got to show like the origin of all their stuff. Like that was a complaint people had about mm-hmm. Solo. So I'm like, I hope they don't do like, oh, here's how Hera got this and this and this, and that was more just like something kind of small. It's just like, oh, here's how she learned how to scramble a ship signal. Yeah, I like that too. It's not some very specific thing like, oh, she learned exactly how to fly the ghost from this thing or some specific moment that references it, which yeah. is generally she learns this thing. And I thought it was cute too. She was very excited about it. You know, like yeah. you would be if you gave a kid candy or ice cream or something. She was like, oh, I learned how to scramble a ship's signal. And she's all hyped about it. All right. And then uh, I'm trying to remember. I think the next episode is called Infestation or something like that. And I honestly have no idea what the hell that can mean. I think we're going <laughs> to what that can mean and then the next episode after that's war mantle so i think we're definitely leaning towards uh less clones and more conscripted soldiers for the empire if i was gonna have to guess i would say maybe next week's a bit of a contained episode not any crossover characters not a ton of moving forward of the plot but something that just gives the bad batch something to do to move the story along a bit before we get to war mantle and the finale arc of the series of the, of the season yeah. hopefully not the series yeah, I don't think we've seen enough from. Not that the, I don't want to say this in a way that makes it sound like I'm talking crap about the show, but I don't think we've seen enough. If this was just it, and they're like, "Yeah, this was Bad Batch, the miniseries," for me to like warrant that this show needed to exist. Mm-hmm. But like, obviously, if we go more into it and we see like the clone uprising and all of that, then I like obviously like that's why the show existed and like i'm enjoying it so far i'm just saying like if it were to just kind of end and they kill crosshair and that's just kind of it that's the story of the bad batch i'd be like why why did the show need to (laughs) oh one final thing i wanted to touch on is because we kind of saw the propaganda of the empire where uh rampart was talking to hauser and he was basically like yeah so uh chamson dua attempted to assassinate uh, Orn Frita and Hauser was like I was there that's not what happened at all mm-hmm. uh, I was thinking it reminded me more of like the Jedi and how through propaganda and whatnot the Empire kind of just erased the Jedi from existence essentially so that's kind of something I thought I, I'd want to see in, 
in a show like Kenobi, where it doesn't <laughs> have to be the main plot or even the subplot, but just like the subplot of an episode of Obi-Wan kind of seeing, you know, proof of the propaganda of the Empire erasing the existence of the Jedi. Yeah, I think it's really effective. I mentioned it before how I like seeing this kind of civilian perspective of what it's like to be in the in the galaxy as it's falling mm-hmm. to the Empire because obviously you've seen a lot of it from a Jedi perspective and from in Rebels sort of towards like the end of the Empire. So I'm, I was always curious, what is it like? Like if you were on the on the world of Coruscant and the, you're on there the day that Anakin mm-hmm. takes over the temple, like what, what kind of chaos is that? What kind of misinformation is spreading? And all you can hear is what the news is telling you at that point. So how can you believe what you are told? And yeah. I really like that idea of the misinformation. People always question like, oh, how do they forget this or that? And so quickly, but when you're in a galaxy-wide network like it can very easily be contained and manipulated i think and lies can spread all right anything else you want to say about the bad batch before we move on to some of our other topics no i think i've said it all all right so i think next is uh your main topic of the mysterious benedict society a show i have not watched and don't know anything about so it's going to be all you for this part yeah, I, I guess it was based on a book, but I hadn't heard of the book at all. And I just saw this coming up on Disney Plus. I saw it had a relatively well-known star in Tony Hale that I kind of like in some stuff. And I also saw that James Bobbin directed the pilot, so I thought that could be interesting. I'll check it out. I'll, he's the director of some of the Flight of the Concords stuff and the Muppets movies and uh, Dora the Lost City Gold. So he has a bit of a track record that I was interested in. So I checked out the first episode of this. I'll give you guys a premise a little bit. It's essentially about a our main character is this young orphan who is who is auditioning for what he thinks to be a really high-end boarding school and he has these very intense entrance exams that go from just a really specific test to going through an obstacle course going through kind of like a puzzle and all of this is done in sort of like a 1950s aesthetic so yes and then of course at the end of the episode he learns that it's not just a boarding school he's going to be working for tony hale's character as sort of like a spy agent type thing while also going to the boarding school. So he'll be like an undercover agent and the pilot essentially sets that up. You don't necessarily see a mission or anything like that, but you get like the origin story of how he was recruited and goes through this whole testing process and comes out as a spy for this recruiter paid, played by Tony Hale. Uh, they definitely kind of go for like the series of unfortunate events kind of feel for the thing. If So if you've seen that show and you, like kind of like the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it where the kids are also kind of smart they never say anything particularly wrong and the adults are all kind of ridiculous characters that the kids are outwitting and they also have that kind of vaguely just slightly over the top feel to it where it's like you're you're just barely taking it seriously (laughs) but not quite so if you have kids or you yourself are super into the uh series of fortune events you might want to check this one out it has that kind of feel of these outcasted kids rising up against these adults and they're kind of see the world for what it is and everybody around them doesn't necessarily see that. I also recommend it if you have kids who are fans of like the Umbrella Academy and things like that because you do have like the team coming together of these misfits because you have not just the one main orphan character but you have a, a several orphans. The pilot is called A Bunch of Smart Orphans. <laughs> so that's pretty much the cast to get a bunch of smart orphans and I think our main character is not necessarily fascinating, but some of the supporting cast was interesting. So I'm, I'll probably watch a couple of more episodes of this I, and just give a bit more of a thought if I end up liking it. But otherwise, a nice kind of 
family show, not necessarily one to watch if you're into Loki or the Bad Batch, but if you have kids who want to see something about how it's okay to be different and it's okay to be smart and pursue your smarts and do it in the best way possible without losing your heart, it seems like that kind of a show where it's like, do the right thing, outsmart the adults, be the cool kid, and it has that tongue-in-cheek. Kristen Shaw's in it, so you have like this very weird humor to it. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it enough to watch more of it and enough to recommend it if you think you're that on the graphic, but not something I super loved. Any questions or thoughts, Joe? Yeah, I was just more gonna ask: Is there like an age range you would recommend it for? If it's if it's it, like you okay, like anyone kind of over, like you wouldn't recommend it to a kid like under seven or anything like that, or I would probably say like between like seven and, and fourteen to probably the prime age for this. Like you're right in the age okay. of the characters at that, that point. Like it's probably like a like a tween show, I would say, or okay. a young teen maybe. Okay. Unless you're very much into the YA feel of it, because it is well produced. It's a well shot. The sets are all really interesting and unique, and it's it's very bright and a lot to look at. There's also a really unique. Uh, we haven't gotten a ton of it yet, but there's this mystery going on in the background of the event or the disaster, some kind of big thing they're talking about that's happening, and there's this kind of tension hanging over society. Like everyone's kind of scared of some big scary thing that's happening, and no no one can really escape it. So it's slightly timely, you know, like right. if you look back at stuff like uh, hanging over the current society, like the health situation going on, and you could say, hey, people are kind of tense, people are kind of scared, but let's still do the right thing. Let's still be good and do, you know, what's best for us. All that right. could be a good for the family. I, I liked it a lot, so I'm going to be watching more of it. All right. Now, there was a show I watched uh, that you didn't unless you have anything else you wanted to say no that's all i got to say i'll watch a bit more of it and give some more thoughts maybe but for first first episode is surprisingly good but not something i'd be rushing out to watch if you're interested maybe all right uh one of the things or the show i watched is a national geographic uh produced show on disney plus uh i think it's currently running i don't think they've aired all of their episodes yet but I, it looks like they're doing them in like three or four episode dumps but i watched the first two episodes it's called Breaking Bobby Jones, and it's a you know it's a documentary style reality type show. Uh, it's not scripted, and it's this radio host Bobby Jones, like kind of going out and doing these jobs, these jobs that kind of push him uh, to his limits. The first one, uh, he had to learn to wash the underside of the Skywalk at the Grand Canyon. That you know, it's this like little walkway that hangs over the edge of the Grand Canyon, and he is super scared of heights and so he had to go and learn how to wash the underside of it and it's it's you know it's a solid show it basically reminded me of like a dirty jobs meets undercover boss where dirty jobs he's mm -hmm. more like doing these jobs that people don't want to do but he had like a certain level of confidence when he wanted to do these jobs but this more was like that but it had kind of the i don't want to do this i'm not good at this i don't know why the hell am i here kind of feeling of like an undercover boss interesting that does sound like something i'd willing to check out that's kind of like a sit back and watch it kind of yeah, uh, documentary series yeah it's like not like this hard hitting thing the second episode was he was working at a scrapyard using like these big machinery uh, using this big machinery to like break up different things and like each episode he's tested so the first episode he had to wash uh, the under like two panels of the underside of the skywalk in like 20 minutes uh, the second episode where he was working at a scrapyard, he had two hours to completely bust up a bus. So it's like he has like this little challenge each episode. Each episode's about twenty to twenty-five minutes. So interesting. It's, a, it's an easy uh, watch, and that's kind of all I had. I, I, I think it's fine. It's solid. If you're a fan of Dirty Jobs, if you're a fan of Undercover Boss, I think you'll like this. 
the show if you're not really a fan of either of those shows you you know those shows never really interested you then this show is probably not for you either uh, i think bobby jones has a certain level of a following so i looked him up and he has a somewhat popular radio show i'd never heard of him but i've also never been a big like radio listener person i'm more of a podcast person so uh that's all i have to say about that and i figure you probably don't have anything to add to my conversation about a show you didn't watch so <laughs> no nope. uh you ready to move on to emmy nominations yeah some quick thoughts on the emmy nominations yeah, yeah so emmy nominations were released this week and just a quick breakdown uh disney got 71 total i think that's across disney plus abc all of their kind of platforms uh the mandalorian got 24 which is tied for the most with netflix's the crown it also is nominated for outstanding drama series uh wandavision got 23 nominations just under mandalorian and the crown it also uh it was nominated for outstanding limited series uh we got 12 nominations for hamilton and there was one questionable nomination that me and tristan were talking about before this show of just like a why and that would be Don Cheadle nominated for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Drama Series for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like, I didn't even remember he was in this episode until I saw the nominations. Like, he doesn't do anything. I mean, he's not bad. Like, he, it's he, he's solid. He's fine. He gives the exact same performance he's given in every MCU movie. And, like, it's it's okay. Like, he, he <laughs> hey, Don Cheadle's there. He's reading the lines in a way I find believable. Yeah, I cannot believe that he got nominated for that. That's just like almost laughable to me. Yeah. I understand I, like people like Don Cheadle and I think maybe the Emmys are trying to become like the next Golden Globes. Like they want to be like the party award show, you know? So they're like, yeah. oh, let's bring Don Cheadle. People like Don Cheadle. Yeah, so, Don Cheadle, he's a good actor. Like he's, we're about to watch Space Jam 2, A New Legacy. And honestly, I'm excited to see Don Cheadle in this movie. I just don't know what he did to warrant an Emmy nomination. How are you going to feel if he gets an Oscar off of Space Jam 2, though? I have no idea. But one of the <laughs> questions I had for you is because, like, one of my defense when people talk about The Mandalorian is it's, like, it's a, when people are, like, oh, everyone's, like, I don't know if it's as good as people say it is. And I just say, hey, it's, like, a fun action show. It's not a show out here, like, trying to win, like, drama Emmys. And now it's a show out here nominated <laughs> for best, you know, drama. And one of the things I think, like, my thing, I don't think it'll win. I have no idea what it's up against. I just don't see it winning. But do you think like this like this could almost hurt the show rather than help it? Because now it has like, I mean, it's tied for the most Emmy wins. So now it's kind of seen as that type of show. And so people, whenever the writing's maybe not as great or a moment's not as great, people are going to be like, oh, this show sucks now. I think it's possible because this kind of subverts the idea of, oh, it's just a kid show or whatever people want to say, making an excuse yeah. for why it's bad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and. Yeah. I think uh, it's strange that I got nominated for drama series, but what I do respect about the Emmys, especially this year, is I think they've got beyond like the highbrow kind of stuff. Like it's not just The Crown and Handmaid's Tale and stuff that no one is really watching, but is undeniably like well written and well shot and like this the the stuff. I think yeah. the Emmys are doing a good job of covering genre and covering a wider range of stuff. You know, you have yeah. Mandalorian, which I don't think has much business being in the best drama series but i do think if you're looking back at the last year and a half you want to talk about some of the most successful drama series and one that i think captured a lot of the attention i do think mandalorian was was that so i respect it for its choices and i think you know it's up against stuff like the boys and bridgerton that i think are also of genre and not necessarily something you'd put in like a best picture category 
So that yeah, wasn't... it's not going to win, but I'm happy for Mandalorian and happy for Disney Plus to get all these nominations because it's not something I expected. One of the things I was curious about and wanted your thoughts on, is it more because of the pandemic? Maybe it just had less competition because there were less shows overall. So, you know, there weren't, it, it's a lot of continued seasons. So I don't think there are many like seasons because that's sort of things that some things I've noticed a lot with the Emmys is they kind of award a show having a great first season and then kind of reward a show when it's its final season for like, hey, you mm -hmm. had a good run. But because I don't think a lot of shows really had a first season within the last year or so because of the pandemic, it was mostly just continuing shows that have been on. Do you think that is why it got nominated? It's just there isn't that competition that they're on? Yeah, I think it was a different year. Like you said, a lot of the stuff that would usually capture the attention of the audience and the critics wasn't out because it got held up. And I also think there was a lot of attention too in the miniseries department. There was stuff like Mayor of Easttown that was a really big hit mm -hmm. and stuff like uh, The Undoing that was a really big hit. So the drama series stuff, I think pop culture in general is moving a lot more genre, a lot more to like sci-fi, a lot more towards fantasy. So to see that turn happening at the Emmys, I think is more so what it is. I think some of it is that there's not a lot out there, but I also think the Emmys are doing a better job of just embracing the fact that the medium is turning towards more genre stuff. Yeah, definitely. Right. Do you have anything you want to add about our Emmy nominations, whether it's WandaVision or... I'm really happy for Paul Bettany. I think he deserves a win for that. I think, of course, there's some great uh, competition, but I think if you're talking the performances throughout the entirety of his MCU shows, I think he was probably the best. I think he showed a lot of emotional range and was really impressive for a character that was essentially like this support of a support character you know like a b-tier character of the avengers that becomes like an a-tier performer yeah i know like guest actor is usually reserved for uh actors that were in one episode but to me that's kind of dumb it's my opinion <laughs> i feel like guest actor is someone that's like in like two or three episodes and i feel like you know carl lumley as isaiah bradley would have was a way better performance than Don Cheadle as the same role we've seen him do a million times that he's adequate in. He's solid. He's fine. He does that exactly what we need from him. Pick. Also, shout out Timothy Oliphant getting nominated for The Mandalorian. I think I thought he was very charming and effective yeah, in that role. I, I would argue, yeah, to me, Timothy Oliphant is better than Don Cheadle in their respective you know performances in their singular episodes. So does Disney Plus win any of these? Um, big ones, no. I could see maybe one of the actings. I feel like Mandalorian is probably going to sweep in pretty much all of the technical awards. I assume that's mm -hmm. where most of the 24 of its nominations come in. I didn't do a much of a deep dive, but I'm going to imagine most of the 24 of its nominations are a lot of the technical, just like I imagine a lot of the ones for the crown are more in like the costume design and set design and makeup and hair and all those more categories. I'll be looking forward to it. Obviously, this is not movie-related, so we probably won't be talking too much about the Emmys, but I'll be watching. I, I also am a big TV fan along with my movie fandom, so I'll be checking yeah. it out. Yeah, we'll be talking probably about the Emmys for our Disney Plus review when the uh, Emmys come out, but uh, anything else to say about the Emmys before we move on to our final segment? I'm rooting for Bridgerton. You know, go Bridgerton. Best uh, family. Yeah. I've never seen an episode. Don't even know what it's about. I've just heard people talk about it. I guarantee you'd not like it. Yeah. <laughs> Just a show called Bridgerton just does not sound like I would be interested in it. So the last thing uh, is a that we're going to talk about, it's not 100% Disney Plus related, but it kind of is uh, because it is Disney and Pixar related, is we got a trailer drop 
for a new Pixar movie that I believe I forgot to look it up, but I believe the movie is called Red. It's Turning Red. So you're halfway there. Turning Red. I I was mostly (laughs) there. Turning Red, yeah. Uh, If you didn't watch the trailer, it's basically this little girl that is essentially the Hulk, except for into a giant green monster. She turns into a giant red panda, which (laughs) one thing I will say my biggest criticism against Luca when I watched it was there were so many moments where I was like, I've seen this before. And watching the trailer for Turning Red, I felt like this is a new original idea. Like, obviously, like, I made the Hulk comparison, but it's a completely different type of thing. And hers isn't anger. I think hers is more like when she just gets over exuberant and, and, like, over, like, any kind of emotion, she turns into the giant red panda. So that's her whole thing. Uh, I definitely think the movie's going to be about dealing with your emotions and that emotions are okay. And I think she's going to hate turning into the panda but i think at some point she's gonna need to turn into the panda and realize turning into the panda isn't that bad yeah i'm looking forward to this one uh it reminded me a bit of inside out in its premise not necessarily in what's happening but like in the themes it's exploring where i think it's gonna lean into that like it's okay to have these strong emotions it's okay to not quite understand what you're feeling to feel happy and sad and anxious at the same time i think that was a nice theme for inside out to teach kids that they can talk about their emotions without being embarrassed and turning red seems like it's literally about that like she's embarrassed of her emotions she's going through a puberty phase and she feels like everyone's looking at her because they literally are she's a giant red (laughs) panda and i think it's going to be a good one the director is uh damni shi who her only other directing credit on her her whole entire career is bow the pixar short about the dumpling which was really, really good. So it was I think a that, great was one. Bo- that was before Toy Story 4, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious. I think it's exciting that they're giving the, the chance to a new director off of her short film. That's something I think it's exciting <laughs> to see Pixar do. Yep. Now that we've gotten beyond the John Lasseter <laughs> uh, t- name on our on our movies. Yeah. Pete Docter is kind of the new guy over there. Pete Docter and Andrew yeah. Stanton both. Uh, all right. Uh, so, do you have anything else you want to talk about Disney Plus this week? No, a good week of it. A lot of really good stuff. Even the thing that I watched off the cuff was pretty interesting. So, I was happy with Disney Plus this week. All right. Yeah. Next week we'll be back. I think we're mainly going to be talking about High School Musical, the musical, the series, along with potentially a high school uh, musical review. Uh, I'm midway through season two right now. So, yeah. No more Loki, so we're moving on up in the world, you know. Where... Yeah, I think Turner and Hooch maybe debuts next week, too, so I think we might be talking about that show as well. We'll see. We'll cover everything on Disney+, Plus. so anything that we think is noteworthy throughout the week, we'll yeah. be talking about it here. Yeah, and if you watch something on Disney+, Plus or you have any recommendations for us, tweet at us, uh, at Movie Change Up, Hit us, you know, or tweet at me, at the underscore Joe underscore Fricky, or tweet at Tristan, whatever his Twitter handle is. At Team Air Media. All right, there we go. Uh, we are about to do a drink-along for uh, Space Jam A New Legacy, so check that out. Uh, I think we're going to start in about 20-plus minutes, and if you're watching this on YouTube or you know, you're know you listening to the audio file, it should already be up, so check that out. Have a nice night. <laughs>